Welcome, movie fans. Thanks for joining us for episode 80 of Reading Between the Reels. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. And if you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post to Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. And I have to say, you guys must be doing that. And thank you so much for doing that, because our last episode on Blade Runner featuring Dan Zare from Coffee with Kenobi uh, just had five times as many downloads as the, we- as the last episode before that. So thank you for spreading the word. Uh, I'm Craig Dickinson, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Corey Heitschmidt, Justin Eldon. What's up, fellas? How are we doing tonight? We're good. I'm here for the gathering. Oh, so I took this a different direction. I was going to say there can be only one. Oh, which means. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Okay. I'm here for the prize. Give me the prize. Yeah, I, I joked with, with Justin before you got on, Corey, that we should just break into three part harmony and, and sing, you know, Princes of the Universe. But uh, oh, my gosh, not that... quite ready to do that. Oh, if Cor- if Corey doesn't do a Highlander accent. This entire episode, I'm going to be upset because we all know we never got a Highlander accent in the movie. <laughs> so we might as well have it on the podcast. So w- what, what movie oh, are we man, talking you're about? Gonna steal my best line. I got one coming. I'm there telling you. Yes. So we're talking about Highlander from 19. 19- oh, sorry. <laughs> we jumped the gun, guys. Sorry, uh, yeah, sorry. We're good. We're good. We're awesome. Uh, so let, let's jump right in. So, um, Justin, I'll start with you. Your overall thoughts on Highlander. <laughs> oh, um, wow. Uh Here's the thing. I feel like I was really negative on our Big Trouble Little China episode, so I yep. can't be negative on this episode. Otherwise, it just kind of becomes my thing. Um, I really like parts of this movie. And if we're going to stay positive, um, I think I'll probably keep it at that. This was a movie. It had a beginning, middle, and end. And things happened. Mm. Yes. Those are my thoughts. Wow. Oh, okay. We'll we'll dig in a little deeper specifically. Corey. It's terrible. It's a oh. terrible movie. Uh it's not, you know what? I think the premise for the show is good. I think the storyline is a good story that could keep me coming in and saying, okay, I'm willing to watch a retake or a remake of this show if uh if one's coming down the pipe. But Filmed in the 80s, made in the 80s, very 80s. Uh, Writing is just kind of all over the board for me. I don't think it's that great of a story. I think it was a great great try. I think this movie was made 25 (laughs) years too soon. You could have made this movie after 2000 and we probably would have loved it. And and, uh, I think... It's retcon sequel would give you a good point that, yep, yeah, we didn't really know what we were writing here, or we just kind of passed it off to someone else. And yeah, for audience members that don't know, you probably just found out, in case you didn't, that Corey is indeed a middle school teacher because <laughs> the fact that he called it a bad movie while still saying it was a good try is such a teacher move. <laughs> it's such, listen, listen, you didn't get an A, but Doc got it. You got a good try. You, you gave it your all. Way uh, to go, bud. You know, Revise and resubmit. Gosh, yeah. But, you know, I. it's Braveheart meets, I don't know what else. Uh, back a dumpster the, fire? Yeah. Oh, it's Goodness sakes. Is this the second straight episode I have to do the voice of reason? Craig, and you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
Finally, I am excited about it. Okay. This is what I, when I watched this movie halfway through when I woke up and I said, you know, I need to pause this and go back and kind of rewatch some stuff for soundtrack. So I don't, because Craig is the master for anybody who's new to the show. <laughs> Craig is a director genius who, and everything he picks up. <laughs> and I thought, I can't go back and watch the rest of this show again <laughs> to catch those things. I got to just do it a one time through. And we're finally at a point where we disagree on some movies, which I think is great because we all have such similar personalities and tastes and experiences. We like a lot of the same movies. It's just our last few episodes. We are finding things we don't like with the, with the each other and uh, that causes with, with us with each other, with each other that causes us to seriously question each other's judgments. I am learning. I have a deep seated hatred for Craig. Like I didn't uh, know this before, but here we are. Mm, I'm goodness. just <laughs> Well, we've uh, we um, we just started, and we're we're still. I, f- I feel like we need to circle back a little bit here. Yeah, no, let's, Craig, let's hear your take on this. Okay. Uh, I'm hoping mine's a little bit more measured. Um, this is what I said. I said it's a, I think it's a really cool concept, um, but it's not completely executed. Unintended. Um, ah, <laughs> yes, it That's... really. It, it did always feel to me more like a great idea than a great movie. And I talked to Justin a little bit about this today at school, um, that there is a television show. There's a spinoff television show that actually is kind of more or less in the same universe as this. With Duncan McLeod. Yeah, with Duncan McLeod. Have you seen that, Corey? I actually did watch parts of that when I was growing up. Yeah, I think that executed the idea really, really well, because I think this kind of lends itself to long-form storytelling, especially with the flashbacks. uh, and those. You can go a lot deeper into the lore. And they expanded on the universe and they it didn't try and be a big sci-fi effects heavy thing, which this didn't. I think that's the thing that was one of the weaker things in this other than the casting, which is interesting, which we'll talk about. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but one Scottish guy in the movie is actually playing a Egyptian Spaniard. But um, yeah, so yeah. that was the thing I was just going to say, like the effects, the magic effects, which or probably state of the art in 1986 do not hold up at all, especially no. the cartoon creatures at the end during the final quickening. Those are just atrocious. And I think you could have gone, gone a little less is more on, on some of that stuff. You can see his cable when he's hanging from the, yeah, some of that. the quickening, but, but I will say I do enjoy the nonlinear storytelling with the flashbacks a lot. And mm. I thought that, um, it's, I mean, it's Russell McKay. He's the director who's done a ton of music videos before this, a bunch of Duran Duran and some other guys. It feels in the best possible way, I think, the filmmaking feels like a music video. And I mean that as a compliment, especially when it comes to the transitions and some of the frenetic camera work. But the, the, especially the scene transitions between like the past and the present stuff, I thought were just beautifully done. Like the best wipes outside of a Star Wars film, in my opinion. Can I, can I interject here? Okay. Of course. Wait. Um, first off, my least favorite thing about Star Wars are the wipes. I love so, the wipes. So maybe we're just going to fundamentally disagree, but I had to go back several times to make sure that what, how I was watching this film wasn't uh, glitching or something because when we do one of the first flashbacks or one of the first like major flashbacks that doesn't go back to his like Highlander roots, uh, it goes back to world war two. There's, it's like an explosion and then the glass of the screen like breaks and fades away into the flashback and it is it is so bad it's it's like a powerpoint effect from 1990 yes. and i just thought like i i seriously had to re- rewind a couple times and be like really 
Is that what they're is that what they're going for? And they don't ever do anything like that at any other point. Yeah. It's just that one single wipe. Yeah. Was really bad. I mean they're all really bad, but that one was different. Oh my god. The parking garage one, the first one. Oh. Oh. Now hold on. Now I gotta say, when we get to the camera angles, I'm gonna talk. There's several things in there that are absolutely stunning views, I thought, for nineteen eight. When was this? Eighty what? 86. 86. Let's, let's, let's just jump in, Corey. Go, but I, gotta, go I do it. have to add real quick, Craig, you said the word okay. frenetic. I had to Google that because I didn't know <laughs> when you threw that. And that means fast or energetic in a rather wild and uncontrolled way. So for our viewers who are yes. busy Googling that, you can come back to the show now. <laughs> English teacher. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's let's dive in right into, into the cinematography. Because I, I, I do, again, want to pull out some things that we thought were interesting or at least meaningful. So... Corey, you said you had some ideas. We'll just start with you. Yeah, I I think on the flashbacks, they kind of threw me off because it was all of a sudden just snapped back and forth. And it was kind of you blinked and turned around and all of a sudden you're facing. Oh, my gosh. Now we're in Scottish Highlands. Oh, my gosh. We're back to 1985 New York. And so I felt jumpy on that. But I will say this, that opening scene with they didn't have drones in 1986, right? Darn it, Corey. Or or CGI filmmaking. Yeah, that drone shot, it must have been a camera on some swivels or something. They had that camera in the WWE wrestling yeah. stadium. Oh, I, I, I had to look it this up. It comes down and the way it sweeps across the crowd, you would have swore that that was filmed right now with a drone, a beautiful shot coming over the over the ring, over the fans. You see people's cam- uh, cameras flashing. <laughs> I'm going like this. Sorry. Nobody flashes cameras like this anymore. It was all like this. These old cameras flashing. This is an audio podcast. Nobody, yeah, nobody can, nobody can see, see you that. anyway. Pushing their finger down on the button. Uh, <laughs> and they were cameras flashing and people cheering. And it goes right up to Duncan or uh, McLeod sitting in the top Connor, of the stands yeah. there. Yep. In such a seamless shot. And I got to admit, of all the 80s shows, I'm going to throw this out. If that's not a top three scene setup shot. In any 1980s movie, then I don't know what is. That's that's the couple redeeming things of this movie for me is that they had several shots like this where they did that sweep and that arc or that point of view from him driving in the car to get out of the garage. Mm-hmm. That point of view with the camera right behind him. Love it. Looked like a video game. Uh, a lot of sweeping helicopter shots across the sky with, with a different movement than just you usually get in those movies. And then... Uh, Kurgan's half face that they did in the hotel room with the girl behind him. Yep. Um, and then the yeah. trophy room walk where the girl comes in at the end and she does a complete seamless walk around his trophy room. Those are brilliant shots. Yeah. That burns one. Ha- and, and the scenery of Scott, Scotland is absolutely breathtaking. So you take all of that and I look and I say, there is some genius in the show. There are some things that are redeeming, that are valuable, that are absolutely stunning. You stole tons of mine, Corey. That's fantastic. I apologize. Oh, yeah. No, that's mm-hmm. great. That's all I have. That's all I no, have. After this, just, it's the downward. <laughs> Justin, you you said you did some research on that opening shot. Is that what you yeah, said? Cause, yeah, because yeah, Corey took a bunch of mine. But first off, the, yeah, that opening shot on the fight uh, right when you're introduced to Connor. Um, because I thought, okay, they don't have drones. They're not going to have a helicopter in a stadium. Uh, it's too much of a sweeping shot to be on a crane. So I'm like, how did they do this? And apparently it was before they had uh, gyroscopes or was it gyroscope? Yeah. It, like stabilizes yeah. the camera. They, they just had it on like four wires apparently. And they like swung it on wires, almost like a, mm. like a puppeteer 
from wow. what I understand, and just like swung it across uh, the arena and up into Connor's face. And yeah, I was that that was really neat. Like as far as I know from what I read, that was one of the first times that it had been done at that scale. Yeah. Um, I wonder how many takes it took. Like if they did that one take, yeah. that would have been amazing. Uh, but that that was awesome. Yeah, that's I mean they, they, the NFL's doing things like that now with that. You can actually they actually see sometimes you can actually see the camera on the I, on the wire. So that interesting. I'm surprised yeah, it's that's not fantastic. used more after this movie came out because that was yeah. such an incredible. In 1986, if I seen that, I would have been blown away. I would have been absolutely mind boggled on that one seamless shot. You know what was interesting about that shot too is the sound effects. Um, there's like a repetitive thumping. And it almost sounds like helicopter blades. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm like, are they trying to make us think this is a helicopter <laughs> shot? What's going on here? Unless it's the pulleys on the wire somehow creating a. I mean, I'd, ass- I'd assume they would just remove the sound, but yeah, so it must heartbeat. have been intentional. Yeah. But it was so it was so seamless. It was incredible that yeah. they thought of that shot. Yeah, yeah. There's several shots in here that whoever the director of cinematography was did a fantastic job taking up those shots. I, I think kind of what creates it at the top is um, how this is a good idea and it's not executed well. I feel that way with a lot of the cinematography too. Like a lot of this movie is actually really, really beautiful. Like they do a great job. And then between the dialogue and the editing and some of the acting, <laughs> it kind of just like ruins it. It's yeah, it's yeah. it's hard to appreciate that other stuff. Well, shouts to Jerry Fisher on uh, cinematography. He's the one that did that. He, he also did Wolfen, which I don't, that's another 80s classic, which I've not seen. And The Exorcist 3, that's the two big things yeah. he's done. So, yeah, wanted to make sure I got his specifically. Now, for me, uh, yeah, I had those things too. I, there's a lot of, I thought, two just really beautiful establishing shots of the Scottish countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, helicopter shots, probably mainly. Um, that, especially some great ones with uh, Ramirez training McLeod. Like up on the hillside, they're just tiny little characters. Like, which you see that even modern filmmaking. Like, I thought immediately of you know Luke training Ray in, in the Last Jedi. Like, that's the thing we still see all the time. Um, I thought one of the most beautiful shots. I thought, and it also kind of goes with color, is that final battle that's in really low light. And for some parts of it, um, Connor and, and Kurgan are in silhouette essentially. I just thought that was a really cool way to do that with its backlit from the light from the uh, yeah. It it kind of reminded me windows. of a. Star Wars Episode Five in Cloud City, just sure. just a bit. With I would backlight. Wouldn't be surprised if that was a heavy influence on that. Um, let's see. You stole so many of my good ones. No, mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. We have to yeah. talk about those because they're so good and get everybody's perspective on it. Yeah, I thought um, the, in that opening fight too. Um, there's a lot of Dutch angles, which I always like to see, and a lot of low shots of the feet when they're running. And then it's kind of blurring out of focus once the like the water starts and it it kind of gives you the sense of paranoia and it kind of brings you into the kind of the way that you would feel if you were in like a you know a fight to the death where you kind of you can't quite see as well as well as you'd like to. Uh, there is I'd mentioned before that that wipe where the camera moves up through the parking garage into fifteen thirty six Scotland. I thought that was great. Yeah. And then when he gets impaled, there's a bird's eye view of him looking straight down on him, which dissolves into Connor's eye in 1985, which I which thought- Which I had to bring great, that up. That was my oh. next thing. I got to say, and the texture and composition in that was very bizarre. It almost looked like they were filming a screen that was filming that. Do you understand what I'm- Because when it did the bird's eye view and was zooming up, 
right? And as we're panning back, we're going to pan to his eye. The, the texture of him was very pixelated, mm. but not pixelated in mm. what we think of now, but pixelated like a, a 1980s TV. Like a CRT that, type TV. Yeah, like it had a blur. Yeah. And I thought, that's too intense. That's too terrible photography, like unfocused to be a, just a passing thing. It had to have been an intentional choice to do that. Yeah, I wonder if that's like a wall-eyed lens, which was kind of what they used for that 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 uh, that shot that you mentioned earlier, Corey. When he, when she walks into like that vault, and it's yeah. again, it's bird's eye view, and it's uh, it's that's a wall-eyed view, right? It's it's distorted. Yeah, it's so, not straight. So, to, Craig, not straight uh, shot, so. obviously not not for me, but for our our listeners, uh, what is a wall-eyed lens? Just, just for uh, our I'm thinking of sake. like looking, looking through, looking through your your uh, the, like the people in your door and how it's it's kind of rounded. Oh, I thought that was so. What's the difference between that and like a fisheye? I think it, that's. I mean the same thing. Oh, okay. I might be using the wrong term, but I I think that's. I think it's a fisheye lens. It could be fisheye. You know, like looking through your people in your door. Where it's like closer to the in the middle is is more more in focus than farther out you go it becomes. Um, yeah, smaller. Yeah. Okay. I just I always thought that was called a fisheye. So the more well, you maybe. know. That's dun dun dun. Um, lots of great angles, just randomly placed angles, seemingly random placed angles, but intentionally placed angles. I think uh, when Brenda's looking at the metal samples from Connor's sword, it's very like an extreme low angle looking up at her, and then they have this zoom in on her eyes. Like this is something important. It's going to lead uh, into something plot wise, which I think is is cool. And then I really wanted to point out. Uh, there's a couple of great uh, tr- low angle tracking shots that are moving, like the camera is underneath him and then pulling back as Kurgan's walking. Like when he enters his apartment building the first time, and then when he's coming after Brenda and her apartment, it's the same type of shot where it, he, like it almost feels like he's a shark or some kind of predator because it's low looking up and he's got all the power and it's just it's the camera's moving side to side as he's moving, uh, which I thought was cool. You know, and really spoke to his character. And they also, there was one other thing that I wanted to point out was uh, when the like the lead detective is walking through and to go talk to um, the the marine guy who had the Uzi. They're they're doing a walk and talk, which is like a Aaron Sorkin type of walk and talk from. But this is 1986 when this is happening. So there's mm. some. It also, it's a it's a very um, music video thing. So I think a lot of these things are. You would have seen them in, like I said, a Duran Duran video or several other videos on MTV at the time, but yeah. not in a major motion picture. So it's kind of cool that that, even though this movie didn't make a ton of money, uh, it was probably pretty influential on a lot of different things. In terms of wipes, uh, back to what you were saying earlier, Craig, um, yeah. the parking garage scene. Like, like you said, where, where it goes up through the pipes and then it flashes back. Um, there's also a really good one. I, I made fun of the wipes, but now I need to talk about some good ones. Uh, he's remembering back to his training scene uh, on the lake, and he looks like back at his fish tank, yeah. and it kind of like goes up through the fish tank. I thought that was really a really nice one, too. We hit, it, has, it has some good moments. Yeah. Well, there's a couple <laughs> scenes. Listen now. Now we got to. It's like, well, well no. Well, if we're going to do yeah. that. <laughs> there's a couple scenes where there's some fights and things and they're getting hit, getting punched, knocked out, whatever. And then all of a sudden the camera 
we're in a different spot and he's running away. And it's like, wait, yeah. did we skip a page in the script? Did we just all of a sudden, how did we go from he's on the ground and the guy just tried to hit him with a pipe. Now he's running mm-hmm. down a corridor and there's smoke everywhere. Like, no, where, uh, so, where was that corridor when you were fighting that you just took the exit and now he has to chase you again? And so there's a few of these jumps on the camera work that really threw me off. Like, wait, how all of a sudden did we all of a sudden change angles and we're over here? And the parking garage scene, I did rewind that because there's one point I wasn't sure who was doing the flips down the parking garage. Was oh, the, the like guy the, he was the thirty straight yards of flips. And He's just like the other instead guy. of running away, I'm just gonna backflip yeah. for like twenty. Why minutes. do I have to do thirty yards of backflips <laughs> and the guy's fifty yards away from me? Because it looks. I mean, cool. you throw a back out, all of a sudden you're done. That you're over. Unnecessary expenditure of energy. Yes. Oh. That's, that's I guess, I guess you're, you're, a, you're immortal, though, so who cares? But, yeah, but you saw his sword. He's pretentious. That's Fasil. He's Right? That's where we're going. <laughs> but then sure. okay. we pan over to Connor walking between two cards he, because he lost his sword. Yeah. And the guy is all of a sudden walking between two cars, too. Yeah. It's like he did 30 yards of backflips away, and then bam, he's right here next to us. And I thought, there must have Just skipped like a page in filming. But <laughs> No, so I, I actually I have that. Throw me off. I have that all over my notes. So I watch this on okay. Whenever whenever we watch a movie for for one of these episodes, I go online and see if I can find it for free because I'm cheap. Um, and then if I can't yeah. find it streaming anywhere, I'll I'll end up buying it, or I might already own it. Um, but this one is streaming just about anywhere. Like if you sneeze, this thing is going to be streaming in front of you. Like it's nobody's just renting it. <laughs> yeah, but so the first place I saw it was on Pluto TV, and I'm like, oh, I don't really ever watch anything on Pluto TV. I'll try it. Pluto TV is kind of janky. Uh, it it kind of has like commercial breaks in really weird spots, mm-hmm. and then it never quite puts you back to where you were streaming it originally. Like it moves you around. So I kept thinking my streaming app was off, like something was was going on. Because so I'd have to rewind and I have to be like, okay, is this am I skipping like three or four minutes because the dialogue doesn't seem to match, or the fight scene doesn't seem to match, or Connor just stabs himself to show that he's immortal. Now all of a sudden the girl wants to kiss him. It's always been that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know. Line. I'm like, okay, I it's missed great something pickup here. line. Yeah. Corey, how did you watch it? <laughs> I did you watch it? it? I watched it on uh peacock. Oh, okay. So you didn't, watch, you didn't have, com- you didn't have commercials or anything then. No. Yeah. And I oh, just, yeah, cause I watched in. it on crackle and it's the same deal as Pluto. No, I watched it on Peacock and uh, you had thought that there was commercials with how much stints were jumping back. <laughs> it was but. so it was so confusing. Um, yeah, geez. Okay. So I'm glad I was not the only one because sometimes I just wonder, am I stupid? No. Nope. Eh. No. That's Thank you, Corey. Craig, you can just <laughs> no. you can go die. Pound sand. <laughs> no. But but listen, I will say you again, I did not like the movie. But there are some brilliant things in this movie that show this is not, this is, it's okay to say a movie was not good or a movie was not necessarily enjoyable, but look and find some kind of champion parts of it that you look at and say, this was not a championship movie, but there's a lot of champion pieces in here that were really good. Some of these shots were absolutely top of the line for the 80s. And I would say even a few parts that are absolutely within a top five category of a scene or a sweep or a shot in any movie in the eighties, it would stand up against for that particular yeah, scene that or how they shot. introduce it. Yeah. So I, 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 I agree, but it's, it's like 
couple weeks ago when we watched Big Trouble Little China, it had it had elements that were were all really good. Same with this movie, it had its elements that are all really good. But then when you put it all together, it just doesn't quite work. It just feels. Except for weird. Big Trouble, is a much better film. Same much year, better film, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant. It's a. It's close to perfect. Agree to disagree on that still, but we won't rehash yeah. that. <laughs> Check that up. You know what, though? If I would have watched this and then Big Trouble Little China, maybe my opinion would have been different. Ah, uh, we did it in the wrong order. Uh, yeah. Craig, I got to ask you one thing about Kurgan's half face in the hotel room with the girl yeah. behind him. Yeah. It was such an intentional choice, and I got to – it was half his face. I got to ask if there's an <laughs> – is there something to that because it was so contrasted to where he was in focus for that laugh – was very sinister and dark feeling. Yeah. And uh, is there an intentionality that they did, what they were doing? And it's so different from everything else in the entire movie. Yeah, it's very it's very cinematic, that extreme close-up, just half his face. I think just about everything they're doing with Kurgan is to kind of dehumanize him more than mm-hmm. anything. And and because you don't even see – yeah, he doesn't even turn around. Like that's when you know, that's when Candy comes in. That's a great scene too. It's like, of course you are. You know, that's yeah. – it's he's – evil he's not he's not he's lost all of his humanity so i think that's kind of what you're and it's also it's jarring for us like you mentioned it's the only yes. shot like that and i think that's you're kind of supposed to just be put off every time kurgan's on screen it's, it makes him he more was menacing. he was he was Spencer very Brown's fantastic in this he's so dark i love so the dark. fact that he dresses like a male prostitute that is just the best so i have some conversation about that later on Gosh, about male terrible. prostitutes <laughs> His clothing. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, 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 wow. Wow. Okay, let's talk about the sound because I I hope that most of us can agree that one of the best things of this film is the music, the soundtrack. No? I was told this did not have a soundtrack. I, what? Did it have a full soundtrack? Okay, well, I'm talking about Maybe the music the that one, I guess. the music that is featured in the film. Okay, yes. Now the Queen anthem in the beginning. Yes. What was the name of that again? Princes of the Universe Princes plays over the, the opening universe. credits. That threw me off when it first started. But so here's amazing. the thing: oh. it is an epic ballad, epic oh. ballad. Queen, absolutely. You you put them up against anybody, Freddie. I mean, just amazing. However. I go from Sean Connery reading about immortals. Yep. Oh, Sean Connery. Yeah. You know, I, I have him reading to all of a sudden hearing Freddie Mercury scream and start this rock song. And Love I thought, it. what? What? I'm Love in the it. Scottish Highlands and now I'm in rock, rocking out with Freddie Mercury. So, and see, ah, it he keeps you on your toes. Bit. Yeah. Caught me. No, I think that's, I think that's important though. But I think because you have, you have this dichotomy between, ancient times and modern day and i think that's what they're they're hitting that with that immediately because that's what all the wipes and all the editing with going back in the flashbacks is that connor is he's experiencing almost experiencing his past and his present at the same time yeah right so you're gonna have these two things contrast yes ancient things sean connor recording this and because no he recorded that in his bathroom which is kind of funny that's why it sounds so bad uh and then just left it in uh with yeah with Freddie Mercury, acapella at first, and that guitar kicks in. Yeah, that epic, long, very, very long credit sequence that they just don't do in films anymore like that. I miss, I miss those a lot. I wish we had epic, long credit. We talked about that with Blade Runner too. That that was like three minutes before you actually got to see anything because it was just darn it. I'm so mad that I missed Blade. Okay, (laughs) we'll we'll revisit 
There are two ballads that stood out to me. One was the one where he stabs himself to prove he's immortal to the girl. And then you know a love scene's coming because of the violin orchestra ballad they started playing with that. And so then it was it was very wavy, sweet music. Yeah. It's kind of that. And it's typical in the 80s that that's something's coming, you know, right yeah. here. And then uh, the other one was the final fight. I thought the music picked up right towards the end of the, like the last 60 seconds of that fight that you knew, okay, this is the climax. This is where it's going to resolve it right here. You knew it was coming before it was coming. And so I thought the music was the good foreshadowing to kind of tell you what's taking place. They did a good job with that, with some of the music. I I was surprised. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with Craig. I, I quite enjoyed all the queen in there. Uh, maybe because it just amped up the eighties vibe, but um, I was surprised they were able to get so much queen because many of these songs were recorded for this movie. Yeah. And I feel like that would have been a tough get with the popularity right. of queen and the, in some of the unproven videos? popularity of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, they they made music videos out of out of this too, though. So it's kind of a two that's, for one. That's so crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's a the the album uh, "A Kind of Magic" by by Queen features a lot of these songs, and so it's kind of a two for like it, yes, it seems like it'd be kind of a tough get, but at the same time, it's like they're promoting an album by doing this, and so had the movie been a bigger hit, then the album probably would have been able to ride its coattails. Probably went the other way around, right? People watched the movie because they were fans of Queen. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, the song who wants to live forever, uh, is beautiful and haunting. Love that so much. They play that a lot, especially during, uh, with Heather when she's aging that kind of montage of there. Uh, yeah, that was a really good song ruined by some terrible acting. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. I need to be nicer. I, nah. I thought when like when they had that final re- that review I had this for a little later on but it's not uh, under makeup and stuff and in the makeups it's okay it's it's whatever it is what it is I thought it was it wasn't didn't pull me out of the movie but when she turned around and like you saw how much she had aged that was kind of a little bit just a little bit of a gut punch of yeah because he hasn't and you just assume it's all you know happening during the same time but it's been decades uh, that they've been living this way uh, I did want to mention too um, I should be remiss if I did not. Michael Kamen is the one who did the orchestration for this. So we think the soundtrack is just Queen. Most of that's kind of the way that this movie kind of sits there. But uh, he's the guy who did Die Hard and the Lethal Weapon movies. And you can hear that, especially in the, the opening uh, garage fight scene with the strings. It gets really tense. If you listen back to it, you're like, that sounds like it could be right out of any one of those movies. So he, his, his work is, I think it's really good. It's solid, but it's kind of overshadowed. By the by, the Queen music, which is also used diegetically too. Like you have, uh, "Give Me the Prize" is playing on in Kurgan's car, uh, and then "Hammer to Fall" is playing in the Marines' car right before. And that's the guy who shoots him with the Uzi and then gets impaled for his trouble. <laughs> Some diegetic um, bagpipes too, because it's Scotland. The most powerful part of the sound was no sound at all in the final fight when they fell through the window onto the warehouse and for about 90 seconds to a minute two minutes there that fight the just the swords and them grunting and and swinging swords and stuff was the only sound you heard and it stood out to me because it was so quiet and it was fantastic i loved it because we were on the skyscraper above with the silver cup logo yep 
and they fall in through that with the water and then they're fighting in the warehouse and it's silent, no music, no background, just them stepping in ching, ching, like hitting swords. That was kind of cool. I actually admit, I thought, wow, that's nice that it's a quiet and we're focused on just the silence of the fight in here. Yeah. And if I had to guess, I bet that part was actually scored and they just chose not to have music there. Oh. Which sometimes I is, it, I mean, I that's what we talked about. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think like David Collins talks about this um, with Empire Strikes Back too, uh, on, like on the soundtrack show, uh, which is another great podcast. Um, that that's it's a, the Vader Luke fight in Cloud City where it's all silhouetted, which we referenced earlier. There's no music there either. It was scored for that, but they left it out. And I think it has obviously with this empire it's a completely different much much better movie but it's uh, the same effect yeah i think from not having the music there uh anything else with sound before we talk about the performances which i think will be an interesting category well no <laughs> okay so uh a great quote that i saw about the performances uh, this guy who wrote for White Dwarf Magazine said, uh, what the film does have going for it is stylish direction, a breathless pace, and some exquisite camera work. But here we go. Yes, the performances aren't bad either. This is the quote. Especially Brown, Lancey Brown, and Sean Connery, who, who are so far over the top, they're practically in the next trench. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Love uh, that. They are. So, <laughs> I mean, Sean Connery, the the Scottish who plays the Scotsman who plays a Spaniard, Egyptian Spaniard, a, Egyptian, Egyptian Spaniard. Spaniard. He's Egyptian originally. With it, with the hero who's a Frenchman who's playing a Scotsman in Scottish yes. Highlands. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Now I got you know, it. You know. You so know what? What I love though is in in the police station that line where the officer goes, "You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from?" Yeah. And he says lots of different places. Like yep. with that one line right there, you can kind of explain away all of yep. the bad accents. You like these guys are immortal. Yes. They pick up lots their accents from places. everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Lots of different places. I totally bought that was a great ins- yes. That's actually so, that's a that's a payoff with that line. Yeah. Yep. Love it. it that whole scene. It works. So uh, other quotes that you, we want to pull from. Oh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't mean to jump sections there. I just thought that was no, relevant that's, to that's the basically acting. where we were. So no, it was yeah. perfect. I love. I love the quote by uh, Corgan. It's better to burn out than to fade away. That's right. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's a great quote. Def Leppard, baby. He he's. It's just funny. He yells it in the church, and I just thought, oh my gosh, this guy is so damaged, but. And he's over the top, exactly. He's so far over the top, he's in the next trench. But but it was a great line. And it's actually it's better to burn out than to fade away. You know, it's, it's actually a pretty good quote. I mean, thematically, as an immortal. Yes. Right? Right. Maybe maybe he's he's feeling a little sad that he didn't burn out, you know, he didn't burn out. I don't know. Not, not, that's that's really he, I don't he, he uh, Kurgan reminded me a little bit of uh Roy from Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Just in the mm-hmm. way he was burning out, like Roy at the end of Blade Runner was doing the same thing. He was kind of going crazy. Uh, he's he had lost his humanity, and he was he was kind of back and forth. Um, I think Blade Runner did it better, but you know that's that's just me. Oh well, yeah, he, that's he's debatable. 
Beatty, Roy Batty's a redeemable character, and some from a certain point of view, where Kurgan is just straight up evil. Yeah, uh, Justin, did you have a line that you wanted to uh, line or two that you wanted to bring in? Well, I oh, I mean the one I just shared. Lots of different places. Um, yeah, there's another one in the police station that I won't utter on this uh, podcast here. That was that was quite funny, but you know. Yeah, we'll we'll skip that. Um, I, I, I enjoy the back back and forth between Ramirez and Connor, especially when Connor is on the boat, uh, freaking out <laughs> because he cannot swim, and he yeah. he tells he tells uh, Ramirez he says, "You look like a woman, you stupid haggis." <laughs> Which <laughs> yes. I what is that? And then having to explain to Connery what haggis is that was yeah. kind of a yeah out of, yeah that took me out of the film a tiny bit. Um, yeah, I have this one, and that this, was... this this could almost work as as a teacher quote to a student. Almost, uh, you have the manners of a goat, and you smell like a dung heap. But and you have no knowledge whatsoever of your potential. That was good. I I, I think yeah. it's a great line though when he's talking because Connor's complaining this whole time, and he's just like, dude, you don't have any idea what you are. And I thought that just kind of encapsulated his tough love mentality because he didn't have to do this. You know, he could have just chopped off his head and been done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really interesting choice that he makes to, you know, for the greater good. Like he, he's ultimately, and they even had that conversation late, later. Like, would you, you know, would you take my head? If it came down, if it was just the two of us, would you kill me? That conversation. And so do they ever explain in a, like- in a sequel or anything? Why, like wh- why train someone instead of, you know, cutting off their head? What is it doing for him? It's very Sith like. I mean, yeah, there is a little bit. I think when well, he talks a lot about Kurgan and how bad Kurgan is, and that ultimately we have to take him out. And so my, the way I read that was like, I'm where I'm at, and I'm I'm good, and I need to get you there too because if it's me, great. If it's you, also great. But it absolutely can't be Kurgan. So I need to get as many people that can and, potentially take out Kurgan as possible. That's enemy of my enemy that. is my friend, kind of. Yeah, gotcha. because there, clearly there's a bunch of immortals, and this happens a lot in the TV show as well, that who have been friends for centuries and have had plenty of opportunities to take each other out. Yeah, there's got to be some alliances that are formed along the way. Yeah. So I wonder what would have happened. I would like to see this. If I mean, it's kind of almost like the end of World War uh, One situation, or sorry, end of World War Two situation. Um, where we're immediately at war with Russia in a cold war. But if Kurgan would have died and Ramirez and McLeod lived, right. are they immediately now just like at each other's throats? Are they now who's the antagonist? Who's the protagonist? Yeah. That would have been, that would have been interesting. Yeah. And see, I just thought of something too from oh, Justin. We talked about this a little bit earlier today. Like the, the movies, the rest of the movies are worse than this one. Take that with what you will. Um, but Highlander Endgame, which kind of bridges the TV show and this one, massive spoiler for a movie that's 20 years old um, or more. Connor and Duncan are both in that, his cousin Duncan. And Connor sacrifices himself essentially to Duncan so that Duncan can take his power so that he can take on the big bad at the end. So there is that. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he he dies, but intentionally like, here, yeah, you're you're the one. So take the. Does he not go back to his home planet of Zeist? 
<laughs> no, because that doesn't count. They took oh. that out. That's oh. in the yeah the director's cut. Yeah, talk that was about a, the worst retcon of all time. Okay. Yeah. See, okay. in the second one, yeah, what's it? Highlander two, the quickening. That oh, that, it's terrible. The theatrical edition. There's a prologue where they're aliens from another planet. Oh no, nope. But then like it's that. been since nope. Don't like that at all. But they've since there's a director's cut that removes all of that. It's kind of oh, it's good. kind of very obvious about how that's that's it's really the, stupid. That's the struggle of a sequel in any anything is when you hand off one thing from one director to the next director. Well, that's who McKay has an too, entirely though. Entirely different vision. But see, it, that's it's that, the they're same. Both, like, was it's it? Both. Yeah, I would have thought oh. the same thing, Corey. That's why I wanted to stop you because I did that myself. I was like, that's what's totally what happened. You no, ruined my not. punchline because I was also going to say that also happened in Star Wars Episode Seven to Eight, but that you know I just well, can't. And, I Back to ninth, yeah, no, and it's, you're, you're not you're not, <laughs> wrong, not wrong on your point. But it just makes it even more surprising that it happened yeah. in this series. Because then the third movie is actually kind of an alternate sequel. Yeah, it's a mess. It's like the X Men yeah. movies. But anyway, I digress. I got a line. Go All right, it. I got one more dialogue because you didn't come to me yet. <laughs> well, you stole my best one. I'm gonna say it, my Scottish accent. Every man dies. Not every man truly lives. That's from oh, Braveheart. Now wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. I got it. I got a joke here. Okay. Okay. That's the line from Braveheart, and it works. It's beautiful. It's masterful. Now, the worst line in this whole movie was when the girl says to him, after they just made love, most people are afraid to die. You're afraid to live. And it was so cheesy how she delivered it. It was on the street in New York, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this was terrible. (laughs) It was a Braveheart line. It is. I mean – it's the Braveheart line said in ex- it just a slightly different way, and it was it did not have any of the punch or the power. It yeah. was and and some of that might have been her delivering it versus you know the hero delivering it. But anyway, I just, it, it stood out. It stood out in my head as a quote that I needed to bring up. Yeah the the amount of like sexual tension between McLeod and and Rachel. Like Ramirez and McLeod had more sexual tension than <laughs> yeah, those two. That that, that forest scene, that forest scene with <laughs> Ramirez and McLeod, where he, he like kills him. Yeah. He, well, he like knocks, he falls over and he like picks him up. Yeah. I honestly thought they were gonna kiss. Like they, they were. <laughs> mm, it was getting spicy. I could I could sense. Well, it. romantic chemistry or not, Connery and 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 Christopher Lambert do have good. They have excellent chemistry together. Well, and they really Sean do. I mean, Connery, who doesn't he's, love Sean he's Connery? Freaking Sean Connery. So we'll, we'll, I mean, he's yeah. the Ryan Reynolds of the past, right? <laughs> like he's. Wow. That's where he's at. You yes, should see Justin's Justin, face yes. right now. He is the Ryan Reynolds of the 70s and 80s. I've never been so offended right now. Oh, wow. Oh, I love Ryan Reynolds, but I love Sean Connery too. It's the accent. I feel like I okay. have to make some disclosures at this moment right now. Um, I have a huge man crush on Ryan Reynolds. I may or may not have a giant cardboard cutout of Ryan Reynolds in my classroom. I may or may not have a picture of me uh, in a wedding dress next to Ryan Reynolds. It's actually Blake Lively, but it's my head cropped on Blake yeah, Lively. Anyway, yeah. so how dare you, sir? How, how have we not done a Ryan Reynolds movie yet, Justin? I don't. I would probably have to excuse myself. I just don't think I could maintain any sort of professionalism. You need to do Free Guy. That was great. All right. Okay. okay, I want to talk about uh, just a couple things, body language, costumes, and none of that stuff. Uh, I did want to mention like the sword fighting. We talked a little bit about that. That is, I think, probably one of the best things in this core. You kind of mentioned that a little bit too. Bob Anderson, who did the the fight quarry for, for Empire, for, for Star Wars, and he was the Darth Vader stunt double. 
like is the one who trained um, Christopher Lambert for that, um, who also had a dialect coach who did an okay job, I guess. For a guy that didn't uh, speak English, that's it's a uh, he, it he, he did a pretty good job. No, he did, he was doing his best. I mean, the guy he forgot he was he's blind, he needed to have glasses, and, and he couldn't speak English. And he, Push through. God bless him. Ha, have any of you seen mm. Mortal Kombat? Like the yeah, he's the, the worst 90s. part of that. His, oh no! His, See, I I like I him in Mortal Kombat. For Christopher Lambert blasting. No, 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 no! Don't just I loved him in Mortal man. Kombat. I thought he I was fantastic. Oh, that was, All right, I want to talk about many. costumes. Yeah, we could. We Let's could talk, talk about, about costumes. costumes. Okay, I w- I really do actually like the idea of the trench coat for McCloud. I think that's really smart so that he can hide his sword in there. Yeah, uh, but it always kind of cracks me up that he's wearing after he's wearing jeans and tennis shoes. Like that, just that look is pretty easy to do for Halloween, I suppose. But it just doesn't quite work. Um, he just feels but, like such a dad. It's, it's a dad look. <laughs> kinda. But I wanted to talk about the Kurgan mainly. Um, so the, when he we first meet him, uh, so he's got that skull helmet, which clearly like he's been killing dudes, and then he's got this gold armor that's fringed with fur because he's a mercenary, right? He's he's been paid off to, to kill all these people uh, and then what i thought was interesting so then he's in this like biker punk thug or as justin said male prostitute garb um i think it's interesting that it's leather and so that it's still animal skins uh, uh, hmm. um and then, i really liked his like skull yeah. outfit um i would yeah. I, I wish we would have seen a little bit more than that of that it it reminds me there's a character in willow uh I think yeah. his name is Kale. Yeah, it is. Uh, yes. Who, who kind of has like the, that skull? Yeah, named look. after Pauline Kale, the the, uh, the film critic. Oh, yeah, we we talked about that on the show. Actually, it's on the poster for this movie, but it's not that long. You don't see that see that costume no. for very long. It's yeah, it's pretty short. I love how um, his I, neck is stuck together with clothespins or oh, safety pins in yeah. the church. You see that because Ramirez almost cut off his head. I think it's interesting, though, in the beginning when he's in the Highlands, like, he has so much armor on his body, but nothing around his neck. You think if, you know, his goal (laughs) was not to have his head chopped off, why go with armor at all, right? Yeah. You should just wear, like, a a chainmail turtleneck or something, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, I also want to talk about Ramirez a little bit, who is, of course, the um, Spanish-Egyptian, played by Sean Connery. I think his outfit is actually really interesting. Like he's got a lot of peacock feathers on it and like uh, Connor actually calls him a peacock at one point. But I think it's interesting because it's actually, I think a distraction for how deadly he actually is. Cause he kind of yeah. comes off as like kind of a dandy, but like he's a badass. Like he, he chopping your head off just as easy as anybody else. Yeah. He's too, he's so super charming. It's kind of his whole persona, but he's, he's very deadly. Did you notice his earring, which was on Corgan's outfit later? I missed that. Ooh. He had that, a see, that, pearl hey. earring that was yep. hanging. And then that later, shows up in the second movie too. Kurgan is in the hotel room and he's got his jacket on. Oh, and uh, nice. he has Sean Connery's earring is on his jacket. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that comes well, back in the second one. Because it was such stuff. a contrast for his black jacket. It was a white earring. Nice catch, Corey. I was a little disappointed with so when he gets into the hotel or motel, whatever it is. And he pulls his sword out and they have that cool little like training montage where it kind of goes back and forth from him like gasping and sighing to him swinging his sword around. Uh, and then it shows his sword that it, it has like the two like 
retractable yep. blades there on the side, which I'm like, oh, that's cool. What is that going to do? And then they never did anything with it's, it. It's going to look cool. But yeah. do do something cool with it. Anyway, that was, <laughs> that was a little bit. I got excited. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else on that? Are we ready to talk setting and design? We've talked about a little bit already. Okay. Um, the one thing I do love about the 80s is like there's no there's no green screen here. Like this mm-hmm. has to be filmed on location and like it's legitimately it's being filmed in Scotland, England, Wales, and, which, and legitimately in New York City in Madison Square Garden. That's, which calls which calls to mind on a couple things. Well, I will say it may not have been a green screen, but when they were fighting in uh the castle where Ramirez dies, yeah, that was a very different sky. It was painted. That must yeah, have that been was in on a set, studio. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And the way that thing comes apart, which is a great, yeah, I love how it just the castle is collapsing yeah. as uh I gotta say the Scottish scenes are breathtaking in what they show. And there's a part where Ramirez and McLeod are on top of some rock, which is way up on a mountain. No ropes. No, I I mean up they're sitting there doing their little sword fight and he disarms Ramirez for the first time. And the sword flies down there. Whoever those stuntmen were, were on top of this mountain. Yep. And uh, was very intimidating to stand near that thinking that's not level ground. They're standing on you slip and whoop, it's gone. I mean, yeah. it's over the safety measurements in OSHA back then. were not the same as they are today. <laughs> uh, uh, Speaking of safety comes- measurements real quick. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did they have I, – I think I read this. The final fight scene where they're on the sign and there's like sparks yeah. going everywhere when they hear stuff. Apparently, they had yeah. a car battery rigged up and then like a wire put through their their uh, mm-hmm. clothing onto their swords. So every time it Jeez. contacted metal, it like sparked. Um, that seems dangerous. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the set decoration, uh, I loved Kurgan's little rat hole apartment just in how the shoddy furniture, the bent mini blinds, those little details like that, that just really show you how much of a horrible little rat hole. And like, you know, he doesn't have to, to stay in a place like that. No. Right. He, he's amassed all of this wealth unless he's spent it all. But even either way, right. This, you know, cause, uh, cause Connor is incredibly wealthy. But even then, think- he's standing in an apartment. It's it's kind of bizarre. It's not a, I don't know, yeah, like a. He's trying to keep a low profile. Yeah. Well, housing prices vault- during that time, I'm sure, are just through the roof. <laughs> yeah, this is just tough times. That vault that you mentioned, Corey. Uh, this time, I noticed, like, it's got all those things that he's collected over the years. I noticed Ramirez's outfit was in there this time. Mm-hmm. I did not which notice I that. Thought was pretty cool. It was in a couple of shots. I thought that was pretty great. And then the fact that Brenda has several swords in her apartment. I thought yeah. it was really interesting. And as much yeah. as we've kind of trashed on the relationship there, which I think just kind of comes out of nowhere, it's it's clear from things like that that they're setting up kind of a natural attraction because she's really into swords. Like that's legitimately what she's interested in. She's a metallurgist and all of these things. And so that's, you know, the fact that this, you know, Ramirez's sword is made centuries before it should have been able to have been made is a yeah. thing that drives the plot. And that's like, oh, that's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting little thing. I did think um, 
when when Ramirez introduces himself and mentions that he was a metallurgist, I was like, oh, he's going to be the guy who made that sword because I'd forgotten that actually he didn't. But I thought that would have been cool. Anyway, I I do wish they would have explored that a little bit more because um, that that is kind of an interesting connection. Yeah, because right off the bat, she she finds um, the the sword in the parking garage, and she's able to identify it fairly quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's the main thing I had for props was just all the different types of swords. And I had to just write down what I saw. And um, it was good. Like the McLeod, the long sword, which becomes the grave marker for Heather's grave. I just thought that's, that's a great shot that's there too when he, he plunges in. It's kind of like he's leaving the McLeod name and that identity when he, when he leaves there. Um, I mentioned Facile and his, uh, you know, his ostentatious backflips. Uh, he's got that... <laughs> Salamanca broadsword, which is a really super fancy sword. Um, but I love. I think my favorite though is is Ramirez's the katana that that dragon. That's has. nice. That's yeah. a sweet sword. It is, uh, and that seems like a great one. That's versus Corgan's big heavy sword, broadsword. Yeah. I mean, the katana just seems more efficient, more fast, more speed. Yeah. I just think it's cool that you have again of all things you got you got a French guy playing a Scottish guy using a Japanese sword. But even right. like uh, even right if it's there. even if it's just a you know a Scottish guy using a Japanese sword, that's kind of a cool dichotomy. Like you yeah. wouldn't expect him to have that kind of sword. Yeah. I, w- I was a little disappointed though because the fighting styles of each one, like Kurgan didn't use his sword like a broadsword. McLeod right. did not use his sword like a katana, like they they just they kept the fighting styles the same and i'm sure it was i mean a lot of choreography i'm sure would go into that but um i i want i guess i wanted to see like more respect for the the swordsmanship yeah. there and they just didn't I, have it i didn't feel like the swordsmanship was even that great i feel like if you're going to be an immortal who's lived 500 years you're going to be pretty stinking awesome yeah. obi-wan anakin level swordsmanship type thing and i feel I mean, like it i feel like the swordsmanship cut was 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 not where i thought it should be because i think you you watch some of the movies games of thrones or you watch uh henry the witcher like some of these sword play fight movies that these people do now is so incredible to where I think that's, th- this was the 80s and it was like okay we're gonna go ting 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 like back and forth like this and then i'm gonna try and sweep low it was more it felt thrown together versus I mean, the Kurgan's all, he's not, there's no style for him. He's just all just brute force. And some of it could just be like, what can your actor actually do? Because this was like Christopher Lambert and Clancy yeah. Brown doing the sword fighting too. And I, John Connery. I think so it's, it's also just emblematic of the, the time period. Like if you yeah, look at sure. Star Wars Episode Four versus Star Wars Episode Three, I mean, yeah. th- those movies are it's, decades apart and the choreography is way different. Yeah, it's yes. night and day. Yeah. So if we if we get a remake, that would be something oh, nice to see. Something I want to talk now, about at the end for sure. But see, now that's the that begs to differ. Justin brought up a good point, and that's the part that I struggle with. The the last two movies that I have not liked on the show finally are from the Zadies period, and it's hard because I'm looking at it with, oh my gosh, is that forty five year lens? Forty five years later <laughs> lens to where we're looking at that and saying, well, that just doesn't hold up today with today's level of acting and choreography and, and effects, it doesn't hold up. But if I looked at it in 1986 lens, that was a pretty dang good show. See, yeah. like you, normally I will give uh, action and effects 
kind of a, a pass because I, I understand that we view those things differently. It's it's the acting that gets me. Like act, acting, in my opinion, in the eighties was typically like better, like the emotion and the dialogue, things like that. Um, but this one kind of just falls short on that yeah. one as well. So yeah. I, I have a hard time enjoying this film, which is why, man, I'm going to keep plugging Blade Runner <laughs> because I love that movie. And you guys, you, you did me dirty. I love it. I love it too. I know, but I, I was screaming in my car. I was listening to that episode. I knew you would be. Oh, Blade Runner. Definitely some road rage. Um, Blade Runner has the great acting. It has the great dialogue. And the yep. fight scenes were like, meh. Um, this this just didn't just didn't do it for me. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, so let's naturally, I think that's a pretty natural transition in down into just hitting anything else on characters. We've talked at, kind of at length about some of it, but um, I'd be remiss. I said that before, but I'll say it again. If I didn't mention that uh, Christopher Lambert wasn't the first choice. Yeah. Because our boy Kurt Russell was oh, originally considered. Yep. Yeah. Or Mark Singer, the Beastmaster himself would have also been pretty good, but uh, there's Christopher Lambert. I- alternate timeline somewhere yeah. where Kurt Russell's in here. Did either of you guys, did you ever see the movie Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan? That's with Christopher Lambert. He that's doesn't talk Lambert in that before, movie. No, he doesn't. And that's kind of, the, it's before this. This is That's essentially the job that gets him this movie. Yeah. And he's great in that. And I think he was probably cast more for his look. Yeah. Um, than his acting ability. But I think he looks like a great immortal. Like he, yeah. I think he has a great look to him. I, I think you just, you just kind of have to just go with it. Either you do yeah. or you don't. Like either you buy a French guy as a, you know, 16th century <laughs> Scotsman, or you don't. Well, I think the 80s, like the 80s, is the era of the action hero, and I think a lot of the times they're looking at these actors, and I think this about Kurt Russell and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and uh, now um, this guy, Kurt Lambert, Chris Lambert. I, I, I bet directors and studios look at him and they say, okay, can we get a trilogy out of this guy? Does this guy look like an action hero? Put him in a trench coat, like give him some gloves, give him a sword. Is he going to be the moneymaker? And I mean, he's a kind of a cool looking guy and he's yeah. got kind of like the wide set creepy eyes, but, um, but it, it works. Yeah. Um, but then he starts talking and you're like, what's coming out of his mouth? <laughs> I think he does a fine job with the Scottish accent. He does okay with it. It's 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 Connery who we love who does never does a different accent. It's always the same but because that's he's Sean freaking Connery. He doesn't exactly. have to. And this is the thing about when 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 Ramirez shows up in this movie. I always forget. It's like a third of the way into the movie. It's like forty minutes into the movie before he shows up, and I always remember him showing up earlier. He's not in the movie that much. No. Uh, but he's great. Every time he's on screen, you're like, yes, I love this. And then, of course, he dies, which sucks. But he does, as I mentioned, he gives that, you know, the almost cuts off the Kurgan's head. And then he that gives him a, a narrative reason for his voice, which I thought was I'd forgotten. That yeah. Where that where that went that way. So. And it just makes him such a cool looking villain to just have that. Oh. That slash on his neck, and like you said later, he has like clothespins in there. To, it's to, so gross. Or cool. safety pins, like yeah, safety, yeah. Ah, and he obviously doesn't need them because <laughs> yeah. he, he had he didn't have them before. Oh, and yeah. his look was terrible. He looked so bad at the end. Well, yeah. after he shaves his head, he he's got like purple spotting on his head. Like, what is going? <laughs> is it the bald cap? What's going on there? I don't know. 
I didn't, like get, he didn't get it all either. Black. Yeah. I don't know. There's something weird. Oh, I, w- I wanted to talk about that. When his, Yeah, right when he gets his head removed, or maybe it's right before. Yeah, his, his eyes go all black, and it's actually kind of yeah. a cool look for him. Like I shirt. wish they would have done that sooner. That was that yeah. was neat. Nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask, and I think we already answered it, like if you guys buy the love story, I think we both said no. And that no. always just felt like, oh, yeah, gosh. he's like, I'm immortal. And it's like, all right, let's have sex. I'm like, what? That, what? Yeah. That's so, actually how I met my wife. I stabbed myself <laughs> in the chest and I'm like, hey, baby. Yeah. There were probably a bunch of people that were like, hey, if that works, uh, I'm going to try it. Listen, well, I got to say this. I, I feel like this, the premise for this movie is absolutely a great idea, right? The box pitch meeting must have been fantastic. We're going to write a movie about immortals. They all have to fight. They have to die. You have to chop off their head. And it, it's a tournament of champions. It gets down to one. Okay. That's a great premise. And we needed more immortals, immortal lore, immortal fighting, immortal battles. Watch the Random TV show. immortals that- Yep. I needed to see Ramirez go and chop off a few people in some epic battle. Bing, bing, bing. And so now yep. I know, oh my gosh, give him a flashback. And, you know, give me that. I don't need to know about his love stories that drawn, drew on for, for a whole bunch of time. And when his wife from the Scottish Highlands was dying, it felt like that scene in The Matrix where I was watching Carrie, Anf- uh, Carrie Moss die with Neo. And the guy next to me goes, just die already because it was dragged out. <laughs> and I felt like that watching yeah. that scene. I was like, just die already so we can get a flashback to another different time, you know, to another wife later, 200 years. So so I feel like the premise is there, but they got bogged down in this trying to make love stories for him in the 80s versus yeah, give us an action show for this. That You have to buy one or the other. You can't go both on this if, on this type of lore. Yeah, it felt like a studio note. That that had to be in there because that was like a long scene too. It's oh, like this does not need to be here. Die already. Yeah. Um, few few more final things uh, on this, and we'll get the final thoughts. Um, I think it follows a pretty natural hero's journey progression. Like yeah. you even have the death of the mentor, which is pretty great. And then uh, you know he has his he, you know the the final boon, and then he's supposed to you know he gets the the final quickening, and he's supposed to, which is weird. The whatever the prize actually is, it's. Who's Strange, it is, I is it anyway? Points don't matter. The prize didn't even, matter. It's well, he, he gets to like read people's thoughts and stuff now. And I mean, I'm pretty sure he says several times, <laughs> "I know everything." I know. Yeah. Everything. I'm just like, what the heck's? But he's just, mortal now. Yeah. Wait, well, why die? He yeah, he's mortal. mortal. Yeah, that's Did the they say that he's mortal and he's going to die a natural yeah, death and have children. That's part of the prize too. That you, that's a you terrible to, prize. You get to die and have kids. <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> you get to be normal. That's the prize. Who wants but to you're not normal. Right? You know everything. <laughs> and you're 500 years old. Yeah. Uh, I got to say this, though, about that final quickening. And I was watching that, and it was so, oh, my gosh. It's like ghost coming out, right? Like all the ghosts and everything. Cartoon ghosts. And uh, I was like, where's Patrick Swayze? It, was, it felt very ghost-like. And I thought, I bet this was a good book, but not a good movie. <laughs> Like no, I I mean that in a in no, a no. way. I'm laughing I, because you're right. Yeah, I feel like they tried to make a movie and make a scene of this quickening, and it would have been a greater mm-hmm. descriptor to imagine in yeah. reading it than it would have to have it because then you can hear his thoughts. You could hear the ghosts having conversations and talking to him. You would have heard Ramirez's voice. You could have heard all these things and read those lines specifically instead of getting lost in the effects, and it just didn't come off the same. So I think it would be a good book, but not a good movie. 
Yeah, and they got great sound design with with the explosions and, and all of the windows shattering yeah. and like the lighting on his face and like I was going to mention that too with like when the immortals have they've experienced the quickening the looks on their faces super intense and kind of believable for what it is. Like you could have just left it there. You didn't yeah. have to do the light show and it would have been just as effective. You can do that with the musical score. Like if you want to make it more dramatic or what have you. But Yeah. Um yeah, so I just had that like kind of moving into world building a little bit, like that there is hints at uh, this dense mythology that's right under our world. And the, again, the TV show, I'm just keep plugging that. Like it really does build on a lot of that stuff. So if, if you're of the mindset, like a lot of us are, it sounds like in this show, um, we kind of like the bones of it or the general idea of it, but we want it to be executed better. We want more of that. The TV show did, I think, a really good job of kind of fleshing out those things because you had all that, that long form. So I would plug that and I kind of need to revisit that. I think I, I think as well. And, and this kind of goes along with like the TV show, which if anything, I'm, I think I'm convinced I'm going to go back and watch the TV show is if, if, if you can all remember back to uh, X-Men origins, Wolverine, that movie where the beginning of the movie, we see James or Logan or Wolverine get his powers. Mm-hmm. And then we have like a montage over the credits. Oh, so good. Wolverine yeah. and Sabretooth, like through, the years like in the civil war, world war one, world war two. And it's, it's really cool. And I remember after that scene, just being like, that should have been the movie. That would have been awesome. I want to see that. And I felt that every time they flashed back to Lambert or the cloud in, you know, world war two, or even when they flashed back to the dueling scene, which was just hilarious. I thought (laughs) that was the dueling dueling scene was so funny. It was probably one of the funniest scenes in the movie. And I'm like, I want to see more of this. I want to see drunk McLeod picking fights with noblemen and then just getting stabbed several times. (laughs) Like walking up on the fight and like, no, he's not dead yet. Yeah. I thought that was great. Give me more favorite parts. Yeah. Yeah. Give me more of that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it has it has it has its moments. You could have pulled off more humor like that. Yeah, yeah, I agreed. Yeah, especially I I, in the flashbacks because you can give humor in the flashbacks and then almost use it as characterization to okay, he is now a more serious McCloud. He's lived for generations and he's he's like devoting his life to something better or you know whatever it may be. But maybe show him over a couple decades of just like depression and he gets that depression out by picking fights with rich people and you know that right i would have liked to see that yeah that's great i i think we might get it with the well i mean this movie's going to be rebooted with henry cavill so oh yeah let's we're let's go ahead and move down to final thoughts because we already have okay started that so Corey, talk talk about that for a minute my final thought i think <laughs> uh this movie was kind of all over the board for me it's it had some very redeemable shots that i would put i would i would even go so high to say is in a top five category of all 80s movies for a shot or a particular scene camera work they did. Uh, but it's definitely all over the board. I think this is Rob Roy meets Braveheart and Blade Runner's universe with a whose line is it anyway prize where the points don't matter. And so I, I mean, that's the only way I could describe it. It's all of those things. And uh, it's very, very hitchy for me. Uh, I think the premise and the storyline could be brilliant. I think it has to be a, an action movie. We, we don't need the love story. We need the more action center on it because you give us immortal lore, immortal battles, and a, a lot of fighting and, and through that. And then you have a, a strong, solid hero who's not 
feeling like 500 years of PTSD and struggling with his love life and not his immortal mortality. So I think, I think a reboot idea with Henry Cavill is oh, gold. I please. absolutely love the idea. I think that uh, John Wick director brings the yes. action part to it. So I think, I think I look and I say, I will buy that ticket. I will be in the show. Fellas, mount up. We're going. Uh, there can be only one, and uh, don't lose your head. Thanks, Justin. Well, that's just a cool way to end the podcast. I feel <laughs> like I want to say something cool at the end. Follow that now. Uh, shoot. Um, no, I. So I really like eighties movies. Um, like like late seventies, early eighties. I I like their style. I there's just so much about them. I love like the. The time period of movies right before CGI hit it big and like you had to rely on practical effects. So in watching this, um, I, I, I got excited. Like I, the first time I saw this was probably a decade ago when I was trying to like binge a bunch of eighties movies. And I remember really liking this movie and rarely do I like movies less the second time. Usually I watch movies a second time and I, I like it more because I, I can like have time to digest it a little bit, a little bit more. And unfortunately like this, this movie wasn't that. Um, and like we've kind of said to death here, it, it has its good parts. It has its really good parts. It's got a great idea. It's got some great shots. It's got some funny dialogue. Um, but you just put it all together and it doesn't quite work for me. But again, to echo Corey, like I'm, if it's going to be rebooted, I'm excited. Yeah. I'll watch the heck out of that. I'll watch yeah. anything with Henry Cavill in it. Yep. He's great. Um, but no, I mean, at the very least, it's fun to make fun of. So I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I just want to echo that, too. Like, bring me bring me the reboot as soon as possible. I'll, like, I'm sad that I'm not going to get any more Superman from Henry Cavill. But if I could get a Highlander trilogy from the makers of John Wick with that style of action and, and that type of cinematography, yeah. I, I would like that very much. A modern this I think is ripe for the the idea is is solid, uh, and so I think it's ripe for. I would have no problem with a reboot for this. I think it's it's time. I can't think of any other <laughs> franchise that like people are like, hmm. yeah, give me a reboot. Like, who's yeah. excited for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's but I think that that speaks to the 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 quality of the idea. Yeah. Which it, again, like going back to my one of my original thoughts was like it felt like a cool concept. Like if you read the back of the DVD or whatever, you're like, "Oh, this is going to be amazing." Yeah. And then it's it just doesn't quite for whatever reason. If it's studio interference, if it's budget, if it's you know the time period it was made in, they didn't have the ability to pull things off. It's casting, whatever. Like certainly, because I mean, how many different choices have to be made in putting the film together? You know, a million. Yeah, you know, maybe they nailed nine hundred, you know, million of them, nine hundred thousand of them, whatever, and they missed on a you know a tiny percentage, but those stick out. I think I think it's just this is a phenomenal. I think it's a phenomenal storyline arc to explore. I just think it was not explored the right way. I think the love yeah. story bogged it down. Not enough immortals or immortal lore. And the sequel tried to retcon that stuff, and that was. But that's so the bad. problem. That's the yep. problem. They knew they had to go into the lore, and they didn't. And that they did showed they didn't have a plan for that. Yeah. Uh, if so, at any point your lore uh, includes aliens, just stop. The moment you say <laughs> get people, some help, <laughs> P, uh, Sean Connery yell, "People of the planet Zeist," 
you're yeah. kind of like, oh, yeah. okay. It didn't done. need to be explored. I don't want, and, and when they do in the inevitable reboot, which I think, I think it will happen. Um, sounds like it is. Uh, I hope they don't get into yeah. how they're immortal. Like, I don't need to know. I don't that. need you to know that. Make it. It's, you know, it's, it's happened for thousands, tens of thousands of even millions. How far back you want to go? Yeah. So far back that it's beyond recorded history. Don't need it's to just know. always been that way. That's yep. a, do not over explain it. They are. You don't need to know why. Just they are. That's it. I, I, I want to more see them grapple with the idea. I am immortal. How do I yep. live my life with yep. that in mind? And we, we, I, mean, I hinted at this a little bit last week too, or last episode is that I completely, you know, accidentally this kind of came together that we've done a series of movies now with Logan and with Blade Runner and now this and Hunger Games, which is what we're going to do next, which are all kind of about the value you know, of what life. it means to be human and how you live your life. And like, what does that mean? You know, the meaning of life and, and what do you do with a short yeah. life or a long life and all of those things, uh, you know, good. so it touches on those things, um, but not quite. And I, I think I'm going to finish my final thought with, with this quote, which I love. This is from Rotten Tomatoes one, which this film has a 71%. So again, rot- take what you will. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes doesn't mean anything, people. Just if you like the movie, great. If you don't, also great. Uh, this is what it says. People hate Highlander because it's cheesy, bombastic, and absurd. And people love it for the same reasons. <laughs> yes. There. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Justin, so. it's okay. Big Trouble in Little China is wonderful. <laughs> It's che- that's also cheesy, bombastic, and absurd. I almost feel like Big Trouble, Little China, and this are, uh, what's the same? Don't Two sides it. of the same coin, or uh-huh. something. Where Big Trouble, Little China just took it to a funny level, where this took yes. a more serious tone. Sure. And maybe, maybe I'm learning and growing to have some respect you for take Big Trouble, Little China. Highlander's dual part, which is very funny and hilarious, and you make that blow up for two hours. That's Big Trouble, in Little China. It's yeah. got the what humor. If- if John Carpenter had made Highlander, <laughs> there would have been a lot more beheadings. There'd I can be tell you that. There'd be more Kurt Russell sure. too. <laughs> 100% more Kurt Russell. Uh, so I think that's it. We're going to, we're going to get out of here. Uh, and as we close, we just want to say again, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter uh, and Facebook. <laughs> you can email us at reading between it's X or Twitter, whatever. Email us at reading between reels at gmail.com or use the speak pipe app on our website. I'd love to have some voicemails to play. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, continue to do that, please. And support us by writing a review on your favorite podcast catcher. That really helps get the word out about the show. Uh, all those ratings just help people find the show. And again, as I mentioned, our next episode will be a review of the hunger games. We've got the ballad of songbirds and snakes coming out. So we're going to take a look back at the hunger games Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from The Hunger Games, and we'll share it on the next episode. 